0: Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z. Jeffrey Szilagyi. So glad to have you here. Season one is afoot and we are kicking it off by exploring not just human nature, but particularly the facet of fathers and fathering, the impact and the influence they have on the lives of my guests. Hold tight, stay tuned and listen in because we are about to journey into a series of conversations It is incredible. Let's get into it. Let's get started. Here we go. Ned Shout, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm really glad you're here to join me for a conversation around fatherhood.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. I love taking a pause in the day from the day-to-day work and talking fatherhood and meeting somebody new. Where'd you grow up? Born in Los Angeles. um, And then at the age of five, moved to a small one street light uh, town in Northern California.
0: Where in LA were you growing up? Uh, Santa Monica, kind of the heart of it. And then your parents brought you up to NorCal? Yep. My dad had grown
1: up in Wisconsin and uh, he had me and my brother and he was kind of a hippie traveler in a sense, just kind of going wherever the wind took him. And then had me and my brother and wanted us to grow up, uh, in a different environment than, than in a city.
0: And so where did he bring you to? So we,
1: we moved to a little town called Hidden Valley, just North of, you know, you, you got San Francisco, Napa, then some small towns like the wine country, St. Helena, Calistoga. And then over this big mountain is a little town called Middletown. And then outside of that is a Hidden Valley, which is where we grew up, and it was a really cool place to grow up.
0: I bet. Yeah, Lake County, right?
1: Exactly,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I went to Sonoma State. I studied there before I became an acupuncturist. I did massage in Calistoga on the weekends while I was going to Sonoma State. Yeah, that's the spot for that kind of stuff, for sure. And so your dad, you said he was kind of a – did you say he was a hippie and a little bit of a wanderer traveler? In a
1: sense. Yeah, I I would say so. I mean, he grew up one of seven, you know, he uh, one of seven and then always the long hair, uh, you know, graduated high school. And first thing he did when he graduated high school was buy a motorcycle and drive it (laughs) from Wisconsin into Mexico. And he was gone for a few months. And that's just what he did.
0: That was just his spirit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Right out of high school.
1: Right out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: So what year was that? What year did he graduate? Shoot, let's see.
1: He was born in 55. Okay. Okay, so he's born in 55. So we're talking, yeah, early 60s, right? Yeah. 73, oh, 18 years? Okay, yeah. 72,
0: early 73? Yeah. 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 Amazing. So that sounds like a courageous guy. Yeah, you know what? I think he just wanted to
1: experience all that he could experience, which is cool. I've never really acknowledged that. And then he was also always open to opportunity. You know, he always talks about before my brother and I were born, he could fit everything he owned in his car. Uh huh. You know, and uh, you know he'd share how his apartments were eclectic. You know, cinder blocks, or you know, one of the, his table was one of those big. um where you'd have all the wire on it, you know, like one of those huge things they'd use for like PG&E or something where they'd have all the wires, like a spindle, you know, know, it's like his his table. So I think he would just find stuff to kind of put together his spot. You know, he talked about having a hammock for a bed in his apartment. You know, these are just little things that are coming to me from him sharing stories with us. But uh, yeah, he was just kind of always open for the opportunity.
0: And a bit of a minimalist, like just efficient, not needing to have a lot, really more about experience than things, as I'm hearing.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: And so what's your father's name? Richard. Richard.
1: Richard Wolfgang Shout. Yep, we share a middle name.
0: Sweet. And then my, son, my son's got the Wolfgang as well. That's great. I love it. So, you know, we're just dropping in here. You're starting to open up about your dad and, and where you grew up. I'm curious, did he tell you... Or did he approach the move to NorCal and that, that really remote rural area consciously and say, hey, this is what I want to do. This is why I'm taking you and your brother here. Was it spoken? Was he a communicator like that?
1: Yeah, interesting. I mean, I was five and I feel like I only kind of remember my life in three to five year chunks. Just just always doing so much. I don't really remember, but I don't I don't remember it being a negative yeah. either. Yeah. At all. I don't remember us feeling like, oh, we're leaving friends or anything. We might have been a little bit too young mm-hmm. for that. But I know, you know, as I hear him share the story now, it was like he he needed health insurance because he had sons, you know, kids. So he became a teacher. And it's cool how his story goes, like how he did thing to thing to thing and how he became a he's a high school. He was a high school teacher. He's retired now. And uh, then he just put his applications in Northern California. I think he loved the outdoors, loved camping, loved hiking, saw that as a great place to be able to do that. And so he just put his application resume out to a bunch of schools and happened to land at this school.
0: So he started he had he got a little more pragmatic when he had you guys and taking care of you. So the, the move kind of met those things of both his his spirit and and his pragmatic needs to be like, okay, this is what I want to give my sons. Yeah,
1: I think so, because, you know, his goal was to have a different job, I think, every two to three years just to do something different, you know, but because (laughs) the need of health insurance and to support us. But I think he's just a passionate person, so he just put his passion into what he was doing uh, in his work and teach, you know, English high school teacher. Okay, so, you know, he got to share his philosophy about life and reading and all that he gathered, in that
0: environment with fresh new minds all the time yeah i could see that that passion's cool did he model that did he continue to keep that alive for his life or did the responsibilities of raising kids wear on him what's your kind of sense was he a good model for you around passion yeah you know what i mean i think that he was a good model for passion and work ethic um
1: what's interesting though is When I was in seventh, eighth grade, he had brain surgery. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, to the point where I remember one family member calling to prepare me, hey, your dad's not going to live through this. And then my dad getting out of that, they said he'd never walk again, he'd never work again, you know, these things. And, uh, I mean, he's... Just he, I mean, he's the dedicated dude. And so he figured it out, made it happen, but his routine became very important to him Mm -hmm. after that, you know, and I feel bad my brother and I would mess with him because when we'd be at a stop sign, he, we'd supposed to be turning right and he'd want to turn left. He'd want to do like the opposite. So we would mess with him. I remember him getting pissed off at us one time because we didn't really know, you know, we're eighth, ninth grade kids messing with our dad, so I know your question is more like did the passion and the the joy for life sort of maybe diminish with his, you know, 30 years at the same job? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, I mean even now he just picked up a new hobby. He's he's um, flying like where you run and jump off a hill or a cliff and paraglide. <laughs> not paragliding but where you have the parachute. And so uh, – yeah, I, I would say that no, his passion didn't die, but he did have to adapt to just life circumstances.
0: Especially with the yeah. brain surgery. Just to be clear, I mean the the brain surgery is a, an interesting transition or, or encounter with life, but you're telling me right now your dad's 65 and he's just picked up paragliding? Paragliding. Yep. <laughs> yep, and he's all excited, you know, he got his
1: his uh, was just got his chute delivered from some con- you know, some country and yeah, yeah. So he still has passion and is still pursuing those things. You know, 65. He's probably in better shape than me. I mean, the last couple of years he's been doing tai chi. Yeah. You know. So then I think he, I wouldn't say he would say that he mastered it, yeah. but you know he's teaching classes and stuff, and then found something new to kind of revive what he's, what gets him up. Every That's awesome.
0: Day. I love that. So is he still in Lake County, your pops?
1: He's not. So when those, you know, the California fires, the big one, I think five, six years ago happened. Um, my house, I grew up in burned down and, um, I would say that it was a good thing for m- my parents. Um, but so no, so he lives here in, um, the, the foothills of Sacramento where I live now.
0: As Great. Well. Great. So he's close by.
1: Yeah. I live about a half mile from him. See him every week. Amazing. So you guys, you guys are tight. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, he's in his routine. I'm in my routine, but we see each other every week, have a beer together. Um, and then, you know, a couple times a year, we'll go backpacking together or something. So yeah, I mean, yeah, we are tight, uh, you know, and, and it's been cool because in writing the book and then I'm working on another project right now that has to do with writing, I feel like we've even gotten tighter, um, because he's, he's a writer and, uh, you know, English is important. On
0: yeah. Term. Yeah. And where do you guys go backpacking?
1: Um, so just up in, uh, in Tahoe, um, we'll go up to car car and Feely lakes is where we've mm-hmm. been, but I think we'd like to plan something mm-hmm. a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more adventurous, not just a couple days in, a couple yeah. days out.
0: Yeah. So one of my ongoing questions in this season is really starting to look at different fathering strategies and I'm curious what was your dad's strategy and how did he invest in you I'm here in outdoors I'm here in opportunity for adventure I'm here in modeling passion what else would you say were ways your dad met your needs found your spirit brought you into a greater sense of the world like how would you answer that
1: yeah, it's a really good question. And I like that we didn't I didn't really prep for the mm-hmm. the question. When I think about it, you know, it's really I'm kind of in a dynamic relationship with my with my parents. My mom was um took us to church every Sunday, very, very straight mm-hmm. and narrow as far as like the way of life. And my dad. I would say in a lot of ways is polar opposite to the way that you get there. So he wasn't at church with us on Sunday. He was. So the reason I bring this up is I I think that my mom had a huge influence, especially on me in like, this is the right way. And my dad was very much here are experiences. Here are stories. And I don't want to say, go figure it out yourself, but he lived more by example than telling us what was right and wrong. In most instances now, there's a story that I remember of uh, me flipping my mom off when my dad wasn't looking or when she wasn't looking, right? I was pissed off at my mom about something. I'm standing in the bathroom. My, I go to flip her off just for some like 15-year-old internal like release of my rebellion. And as soon as I put the middle finger up, my dad just happens to walk right in the hallway and sees me. And very calmly and swiftly, he had me up against the wall in a loving way, but a stern way. You won't talk to, you won't disrespect my wife or your mom that way. So I think that he was present when it really mattered in those moments. Like, I mean, that's a moment that I remember, right? And it wasn't, It wasn't like it happened every day
0: to where it didn't have meaning. What was his strategy for investing in you as a son? You know,
1: I think that because of his outlook on life and about his desire to experience life, and I would say my mom's kind of like hyper-parenting on what was the right way, I think that he really wanted us to experience life and know that he was a constant there. So I don't want to say that he was hands-off, but he led by experience. Like one, us seeing him as an example. When I say us, I mean my brother and I. But then two, giving us opportunity to go outside. The most I mean I think of is going to the – when it's raining outside and going and making dams and ditches in the puddles and collecting worms in the puddles and not taking life too serious and playing outside. I mean, as a high school teacher, he had every summer off and it was let's get in the Volvo and let's travel the United States for a month. Let's go to the national parks. So for him, I feel like it was less, I, I feel like, yes, I got, um, I got spanked as a kid and yes, I got, in trouble as a kid, but not, I don't remember that being a primary thing. I feel like he let us experience life, know that he was constant and there, and then exposed us to the outdoors and gave us a ton of freedom, you know? So it's like, I think that part of his, part of his job was he moved us to a town where i mean this is pre-cell phones right i'm 37 so this pre-cell phones were you know between the ages of 14 and 18 we had bmx bikes and we would leave at you know 9 a.m in the morning and we would go Mm -hmm. off all day we might be at the lake we might be at the river um we might have to check in at a pay phone or something but that was more like my mom wanting to know where we were and so i think he he thought i'm gonna provide them a space to go be outside and live i mean we weren't big video gamers we weren't big inside um he'd also expose us to a lot of you know interesting movies like like all the beatles movies and the marx brothers and uh you know foreign films i'm just kind of like as i'm thinking about it you know i don't pause and think of all the things my dad did but i mean that's really that's a lot of stuff that he just wanted us to see the world and experience it and i think in a lot of ways because my My mom was very much like, this is the way, which has been great and foundational for me, is I think that he wanted us to, he didn't want to be another voice telling us what was right and wrong and wanted us to be able to to kind of decipher that on our own.
0: What about when you came of age, you know, when you became adolescent and you started to, you know practice your decision-making, if you can call it that, <laughs> at 13 and 15 and 17 and, you know, making good choices, making bad choices, or you started to see the world perhaps differently than your father. Did you have any kind of tension that emerged as you became yourself? And was he able to remain present, work with you in your, at your developmental edge and still keep your relationship intact? I'm kind of guessing that from the way you're talking about it, but just to, to clarify...
1: Yeah, what's interesting is I feel like once that age hit, you know, he had a brain surgery and was very mm-hmm. much in his routine. My mom was very strict on where she wanted me to go to school. So I didn't go to my dad's high school. I went to a private Seventh day Adventist high school. We weren't Seventh day Adventists. We were more kind of your traditional Christian, but went to like even a more strict high school. So in some instances, I feel like when it came to the education and it came to, what I was going to be doing for sports in high school, I kind of feel like he was a little bit hands off, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if that was due to the brain injury or if it was due to anything of him feeling like maybe the church
0: stole us from him in a sense. Um, were you pretty strong in your, your religious beliefs? Very, your... uh huh. very. So were yeah. you going to school in Angwin? Angwin, yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. I had a girlfriend who was from Angwin there. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we would commute there every day. Uh,
0: it's a beautiful and, drive, though. That that's a beautiful yeah, drive. That back, back road's there. It but is. But tell me, yeah. yeah, tell me. So tell me about that Angwin strong, you know, religious. I mean, experience. it was
1: cool for me because I I was going to like a Pentecostal church, which is like on Sunday, very evangelist kind of. I don't know, just more charismatic. And in Angwin Seventh-day Adventist, it's like, you know, church starts on Friday afternoon, we don't eat meat, we don't drink. Um, you go to church on Saturday, that's the right day. So it was cool for me because I was actually able to learn to defend my beliefs a bit um, and like what I thought about about how it all worked. So I fit in fine, but it was cool. And I had good Bible class teachers where I was able to kind of challenge and go, well, I don't think it's that way. This is my opinion. So that was cool for me. But as far as in between me and my dad's relationship, I feel that it was a barrier. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was a barrier. And that as an adult, it just in the last like five to seven years, as I've become less strict, or I should say less religious about my faith, I feel like our relationship has grown because now it's like we're sharing books and we're into some of the same things. And so I feel like our relationship has grown.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing it. I'm starting to get a feel for it. I'm curious about it. So, so when you're coming of age, you're, you're in a, a stronger religious discipline, more devout context, and your dad doesn't roll that way. So he kind of seeds space. Is that what you're saying? He kind of lets that be the, the flow of the family and doesn't interrupt it? I think so. Mm-hmm.
1: I think so. I think that he mm-hmm. got really into his work. I think mm-hmm. that he got really into his routine. And I think that it was a combination of the highly dedicated, highly dedicated that my mom and I were, and then because of his brain surgery, those were the things that he just kind of got into a routine that mattered. Now, I wouldn't say that he wasn't present. I mean, it was still like summertime. We did the camping trips, the mm-hmm. hikes. You know, it was still very much like as a family, we still did stuff because my mom and dad, as different as they are, they connect a ton over family food and being outside. So it's like, they. if I were to say, I mean, this is not what you're asking me, but my father's greatest impact to me is, is showing me that it's possible to be married. It's possible to to go through to go through life dedicated to something that may not look exactly like you thought it was going to. Like he always says you marry you, you don't marry a person, you marry an idea. And so I mean, they've been married 38 years, they just celebrated. That's the greatest gift my dad gave me. And I would say that it I don't want to say it was more him than my mom. But mm-hmm. he didn't just follow suit and become the submissive, you know, passive husband who just went to church and didn't believe all the crap that, you know, mm-hmm. that he thought it was. He also didn't fight it and not let her tithe or do the things she wanted to do. So, I mean, as far as sacrificial love, mm-hmm. I've always said my dad looks more like Jesus than anybody I know because mm-hmm. there is no ounce of like, like bitterness or judgment in the dude.
0: And he could have those things, he could and he he doesn't. I'm glad you're addressing it because I was curious about the tensions and the polarities. And it sounds like they were able to find their way in large part because of your dad's willingness and tolerance or maybe acceptance for the differences uh, without getting his nose bent out of shape around the approach your mom had and still being himself. Yeah. That's uh, and it sounds like they reconciled that. Like I, I'm kind of, I was like, I was wondering, like, wow, what was that like to have parents who were that vastly different? Were they at odds? And I'm hearing that they most not that everybody's perfect. Yeah, no, any not at all. By any part, but yeah, but but they found their way through. Yeah,
1: and continue to do so. So like even now, I mean, you know, like any married couple, you go in and it's like my dad left open the cupboard, and my mom's making a remark about it or some crap like that that you know people do. <laughs> But in our world where it's like people are so just about their own opinion, their own way, and and everybody else is wrong, they still continue to figure it out, which is an incredible example for my mm-hmm. brother and I and our marriages and our kids who will be married one day, most likely.
0: Yeah. I think that is a beautiful gift and it's cool you recognize it. What else as you sit here and you reflect on who your dad's been to you is, uh, comes to mind in terms of just feelings, appreciation stories. Is there anything else that you would want to say right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, a couple things is, is one, something that's been transformative to my life to the point of, I I created a journal for dads and this isn't a plug for that, but it's, it's an acknowledgement that, you know, when I used to hear my dad tell stories about uh, going on a motorcycle trip. He talked about how we started journaling it and documenting it. And so at the age of eighteen, I started journaling and documenting my life. And it's been like a time machine for me to be able to go back in time and reflect on who I am, who I'm becoming, where I've continued to be an idiot, you know, where I've grown. And so that has been huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is following through, you know, my brother and I did a podcast recently reflecting on family trips and what it was like, cause he kind of took a different path than me. He was wild. And uh, how we both, you know, at, he's 35 and 37, we've come to the same place, you know? So he was kicked out of three or four schools, you know, hiding weed in his bedroom. Uh, you know, just, told, I was just like listened to my mom and followed and my brother did the opposite. So we kind of were reflecting on how, this foundation that our parents taught us, that our dad taught us how to be faithful to our wife, how to work hard for the family has brought us in our, you know, mid thirties to the exact same place. But if you would have saw us at 15 mm-hmm. and 16, you would probably said those two dudes are going to be at drastically different places. So I think like for fathers listening, that's critical, just stability, right? Stability in a world where like, it doesn't feel like things are very stable. So I would say that's huge. The stability, which we kind of touched on, but The family trip thing that I was going to share is our dad would always tell us stories as a kid of one particular that I think of is that when he was 13, 14, he went on this canoe camping trip in Canada. And I feel like a lot of times people will say, oh, we're going to do that one day. Oh, we should do that one day. But if my dad ever said that, it happened, right? So I remember, I mean, we heard that from five years old when we were 13 and 15, we went on a 10 day canoe Canada trip, you know? And, and so Mm -hmm. that follow through, and that's something that I've definitely brought into my fathering role is if I have an idea of an experience, I want to give my kids, I'm not just Mm -hmm. talking about it. And it's like one day, one day, one day, it's going to happen. Now it might take a little longer to save up. It might take a little longer for it to happen. Things might get in the way, you know, Mm -hmm. pandemic, whatever, but make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I for sure learned that from, from my dad and my mom, but, but you know, my dad being the breadwinner, he made it happen. He made things happen.
0: That's beautiful. I love that. I love that reliability. Yeah. And I love just to add in, uh, I love that he made the transition pretty damn well from being an ambitious young explorer to still keeping those spirits and passions alive and imparting them to you and your brother. It's, uh, he sounds like he did a really fine job showing up and offering the best parts of himself to, to you and your brother.
1: Yeah. And it's really cool to reflect on it with you because I think that sometimes I can be like overly intentional in every day, like almost exhaust my family. Um, like every moment's a learning moment kind of thing. Mm hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like you just got to be and be yourself. And as I'm reflecting on how my dad was, it definitely wasn't like he didn't have an answer for everything. He probably did, but he refrained from it, I would, I think. And as I share about how my brother and I kind of made it to the same spot, we didn't have him – checking in on us every week, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? what about this? You should do this. You th- like, that's exhausting for people. And I think that if I didn't pause and acknowledge how my dad was with me, I think I could find myself over parenting my kid to, to like mm-hmm. reach their perfect potential and not just let them figure it out on their own.
0: I mean, what I hear there, Ned is more of your, individuation patterns have to come through your mom than your dad like your dad gave you a lot of room for your autonomy and your self-development and the 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 you know the loving but strong instruction from your mom is still something you're still you know finding your way through of individuating from that style or that strategy
1: for sure for Mm -hmm. sure because it's like it's ingrained in me that there's a right way to do things Mm-hmm. And I would say that my dad would argue that there isn't a right way to do things. I mean, you know, the big life things, that there are multiple ways <laughs> to get it done, you know, so take the path that you enjoy and not just be so focused on, is it the right way or not? Enjoy it.
0: Yeah, there's a good poem out there by uh, Mary Oliver called, uh, it starts out with the line of, you don't have to be good. You don't, you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. So I'm thinking about that as a, mm, a poem. It's it's a beautiful. It's, I'll send it to you.
1: Yeah, please do. It's it's funny because I feel like just in the last two years, my dad and I have been going back and forth on this topic and I finally have come to his side on it. And, you know, I'm Mr. Like personal development, grow and, and would use terms like better and best. And mm-hmm. he's been challenging me on the words better and best. And mm-hmm. it's only been in the last few months that I've, It finally clicked for me, you know, and it's been cool because I've been doing some meditation and sharing like my experiences with him in meditation and, Mm -hmm. and it's been cool. So it's like his constant, it's like now more than ever, it's, he is there helping me navigate this transition I'm making in life of really being focused on being good. Like, I feel like I've been focused on being good for 37 years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in this transition of, it's not about that. And he's been the one that's been there to go to and share what I'm experiencing and not necessarily having answers, but but having input into it.
0: I love the arc of, of his fathering still at play. You know, that's some serious patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, no doubt. You're giving it giving it a lot of time to find that moment. Um I I, I really do. I, I have goosebumps and making me miss my own father who's been mm. who's been gone for about eighteen years now. But um oh, wow. It's really it's really sweet that you have have that, you know. And when my father died, I was like, you know. I would tell men all the time, enjoy your dads while you have them, take advantage, you know, be with them if they're available in that way, if you can, because, you know, it's not, it's not a forever thing, but that's a, that's a really beautiful thing. And it, it, it wanted me to transition a little bit to, well, actually I did have one question, which is if it's not about being good, do you know what the other thing is that's replacing that yet?
1: Yeah, it sounds so like, I don't know, hippie spiritual do it. to say, just, do it. <laughs> just be, you know, just mm-hmm. be. But it's that discovery of you. So my answer is that there is no destination. So I think in being good, there's the idea that there's destination that I've arrived. And that in just being, there's the acknowledgement that there is no arrival, which is the beautiful thing, which is the, the greatness of life. Like, it's an adventure. So enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I do think that each day, you know, you're given responsibility and you do want to see, be better than yesterday. Um, but you want to grow. And, and what I'm realizing is that it's when you're trying to be good, you're focusing on yourself. Mm-hmm. And if we look at, I mean, from the moment we're born, we're reliant on each other. This we were made for relationship, um, and being good is more or less just comparing yourself to others and not just being with others and mm-hmm. realizing everybody's growing together.
0: Yeah. So that's yeah. What so I it's kind of it's kind of isolating to be good in a way, and and I hear the contact the contact yeah. points. Of, of actually dropping down and being with people, which I know you have five children, which I love and is amazing. Yeah. Um, I know that you, you're doing work around fatherhood, and in, in, I, I want to talk about that in a little bit, but I want to kind of transition through your father into your own life and into your maturation is, what did you not know or understand about your father until you became a father yourself? Hmm... I'll tell you mine just to keep the flow going. I, I couldn't understand. I could finally understand why my dad was frustrated. You know, I could see my dad had mm. a lot of frustrations. We had I had three brothers. There was four of us. And uh, we we had a lot of energy and there was a lot going on, which I've talked about in other episodes. So I'm not going to repeat it now. But the the sense of futility and feeling like I didn't have my power when I wanted it and how I felt frustrated by you know systems i couldn't you know things going on in the family that i couldn't control i was like oh, okay that's what my dad was frustrated about i understood his condition and so it helped me get closer to his what i what i felt was his anger you know and and for him and 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 i was able to find that through his through his anger that he had in life at different times and different moments around parenting I was able to find a closer relationship with this experience so I, I don't know yeah, it's kind of strange no, I, to say I, I but one. it's I, true
1: yeah okay no I got one and um I feel as though what I learned and I'm continuing to learn so I didn't learn it I don't want to say fast enough because I've always had fun and been silly with my kids but like my dad is like I don't know if you've seen Sesame Street, but he's like Mr. Noodle on Sesame Street. You know, like <laughs> he'll, no. he'll yeah. get dressed up for my kids to come over and pretend to be his sister visiting from Wisconsin, you know, like with a wig and a dress and just be so silly. So, you know, <laughs> what he taught me was when you, especially with our little kids, is to just be silly with them, have fun with them, wrestle on the floor. And I think, as I say it now, that's almost like what the religion took is that it's so serious. And and although my dad worked extremely hard, put in a ton of hours and worked hard for the family, he still yeah. was like, you don't have to take life so serious. Yeah. Um, very tongue-in-cheek all the time. And so as I, you know, was on this my middle school, high school, college, like taking life so serious in a lot of ways, I think that as I had kids, you realize like the world from kids' eyes is like You should enjoy it. So be silly and and, and have fun and don't take it too serious. And I think I'm still learning that now is to take a deep breath, not be so serious and to enjoy the day that's ahead of me. And I think that is, it can be paired. So I think what my dad showed me is like, it can be paired with really hard work. So just learning to transition from, okay, work time's over. Now just go be silly Mm -hmm. and enjoy all that you did.
0: We all have our own Set of lessons we're working with, so I yeah. uh, acknowledge and appreciate and admire that particular one as being really important for you. Um, my, I probably come in more from the other way of needing to like grow up. I've always been comfortable with the the playful side of myself, um, and particularly with children. Like I've had a strong affinity for kids, but uh, yeah, my kids want me to joke less sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> in fact I, I i had to go through this thing where i i was like i felt like i was i was like deceiving my kids because i would joke with them about things that weren't true mm. and, and it, it kind of bothered me it was like why am i doing this and what i realized aside from whatever else i just like you know just it's good to be straight too and not always be trickster right was i was actually training them to detect lies Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't conscious that I was doing that as a father, but I was, I was, I was giving them challenges to see if they could figure it out and if they could recognize it. I think I exhausted them a little bit with it. And there was probably some immaturity going on in there as well. But I think underneath that was a hidden training around detecting truth and not truth. Hmm. And, and that was helpful for me to see like why am I, why am I playing this energy out? And, I, and I, once I got clear, I was able to do it more clearly and not unconsciously. I want to go to you a little bit more and, I, and, and I, I'm curious about your life more. and I, I really love what you've talked to me, what you shared with us, me and my listeners around your journey with your father and what an incredible arc you have with your father. You know, I've had a lot of different stories and some have been really painful. And some have been really wonderful, and everything in between. Yeah. I, I know for sure there's no perfect father, but you know you've got a book out, you've got a journal out, you got a podcast, you know, field notes for fathering. I think I said that right, or fatherhood field notes. Yeah. Um, that that you know you've done so much in this field, and you and you're doing your own work around it. How did you get there? How did you come to this becoming such a a, a paramount purpose in your life? And then what are some of the things that you have? that you've learned that you've you've received from others or mm-hmm. that you've now come to that you didn't have before that you would offer on this conversation around the you know why father why fathers matter.
1: Yeah, I love it. Love it. Oh, man. Well, you know, from the age of 18, I thought that I was going to open a youth center and that was my life's purpose, you know, and it was on that path of okay, grew up in church, I was a youth pastor, and my goal was to to create a youth center the world had never seen it was going to be different it was going to be creative which is definitely down my path and um in 2015 it was all about to happen i mean the stars had aligned i had this 36,000 square foot skateboard park indoor it was being handed to me and it was all coming together and then and then all of a sudden it wasn't it was dead and gone and you know my wife would say that during all those years, I was a good dad and fun and engaged with the kids, but my best energy and creativity and time was definitely going to like building this thing. And so that year I was just confronted with like, okay, as a man, I want to feel valued, needed, loved, respected. Like I'm leaving a mark on this earth. And if that's not going to come from this thing I've been working on my whole life, where's it going to come? And through a lot of self-reflection, reading my journals, um long walks on the beach um I realized that those feelings those desires that I had were right in front of me in my home and that my primary purpose on this planet was to be a father and that those were my youth that was my youth group that was my purpose and and um and I was so when you th- say
0: that was your youth group you mean your kids they yeah were my your youth my cent- kids. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah.
1: You know, and, and when all that stuff fell apart, I mean, I realized my intentionality level and my my fun and games and everything with my kids just skyrocketed in its perfect ages. I mean, this was five years ago, so my my um, my oldest would have been – she's just turned 15, so she would have been 10. So I would have had a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, two 7-year-olds, and a 5-year-old when when I kind of had that discovery. I'm not saying this to like pat myself, but I was an engaged dad. I just didn't give him my best. And so, and and my day job is I sell insurance and that is not sexy. It is kind of, kind of whatever. And it, and, and I realized there's a bunch of stuff with me, like my identity, my ego, my pride, which are all things that I'm still working through. I still have my insurance business and that really what mattered was in my home. And so I was like, man, how many men are being tricked that their career and their hobbies should be the thing that fills their identity and so I wrote a book, rebel and create, rebel against the status quo, rebel against the idea that the adventure of your life is out there somewhere else, and then create the life that desires everything inside your home, inside your family. So that's my self-discovery basically. And so that just kind of sent me on this path of like talking about fatherhood. And so it is not parenting. I am not talking about parenting. I am talking about fathers knowing who they are and how important their role is. And regardless of their story, if they had a great dad or a crap dad, that it's already ingrained in their DNA to be the guy that their kids need. They just have to freaking accept it. Look in the mirror. They might have to go get some skills to be that dude, but they have what it takes. So that's like, it's my own journey of discovering that every day and then just trying to help others
0: do the same thing. I love it. I mean, I think, well, I can relate. You know the 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 ambitious part of my life that feels like it needs to, um, become more, be better, as you said. You know, yeah. <laughs> be stronger, be more influential, be more important. And I've been working a lot with my own way of it. I call I call it the small self or the small soul, mm. accepting these really not very big places inside myself. You know, mm. like oh. I'm just here (laughs) like I'm not anything more than I am right here right now in this moment but with that and I think I hear you saying the same thing comes the opportunity to be present to life and you get this rich nuanced tapestry of connection that is more available by being present with what's right here right now including one's own children and and yeah. That's awesome. So so you you do this, you write this book R- Rebel and Create. You you eventually write a fatherhood legacy journal. I think that's the right yeah. title. Is mm-hmm. that right? And then you start a podcast and you talk with dozens and dozens of people and I, I my guess is you're probably coaching people or doing some other kind of work around this. Like what are you learning now that you've set yourself up to really accept to focus and to embrace the small but very important role that you have in this world and empower other men and bring voice and consciousness to it what are you learning what's 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 it like now
1: yeah such a good question um and i think that my answer would have been different six months ago you know i haven't tried to make any money at the rebelling create stuff I've, I've really tried to hold it loose you know there's so many things out there that are like these coaching or these men's retreats. And and I have ideas for things, but I've been holding it real loose because I'm just not sure where it's headed and and I don't have to have it make money. And so I, I just try to go, okay, I don't want to do anything fast. So I'm kind of just like riding the wave and seeing what happens mm-hmm. with this because mm-hmm. so much of my life feels like I can't do that. um And and why I said my shift in in this is I think when I first wrote it, it was like, I made this discovery and nobody knows, like nobody knows about being a great dad. And so what I think I've realized is there are, no, not what I think. What I have realized is, I mean, I've done since June, 2015, I have released an interview with a dad every single week since then. And I've got a list of another, you know, like the next couple, couple months are already booked out. There are incredible dads out there. So the idea that everybody's a Homer Simpson or an Al Bundy or a total jackass is not real. Now, if you look at the big culture, like, yes, there is a great need for fathers to step into their role, but they're out there. I'm not the only one. And I think that that is what I'm doing is helping uncover, you know, your UPS driver who, you know, is is like, wait, that guy is a killer dad, a killer husband, totally invested. His identity isn't what he does for a living. He is incredible. And it's not based on some hobby or some job that makes him incredible. And that's what I'm learning. I'm not the only one out there. There are a ton of guys and we're just kind of bringing them to the light. Like, dude, there's a bunch of killer dads out there and we're going to be okay.
0: (laughs) I didn't know that there was such a, well, there's a network. You know, there's the National Fatherhood Initiative, and right. there is all sorts of highly invested people, religious, non-religious, who are invested in the in men in a way, and invested in a different narrative of men. And it's not on the surface of the culture. I think you're right. I think you uh, digging down a little bit, it, all of a sudden these these gems of people start to emerge. And you're like, wow, yeah. That, yeah, is, totally. that is that is beauty. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you on it. I'm I'm a little earlier on. You know, my my show is not going to be just about fathers. My show is really about larger human nature. But somehow, the toehold of the father story has been mythical for me because the 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 uncertainty of of men investing in their offspring is a stress that we have as a society, and somehow you know, whether it's the success model or it's the the impact of, of, of crime and childhood neglect or whatever the things are that interrupt men from developing in a really clear, strong way to to understand themselves and be constructive versus destructive, right? That is a is a is something I'm very passionate about. So it's been my toehold. Um, but since we're here, I wanna I wanna go towards another thing that this podcast is eventually going to become about, and that is stress. Um, um I have I'm working on a book about stress, I think I was telling you in the pre-show, that I I'm very passionate about it for reasons I I I have difficulty fully articulating, and I'm I'm exercising that out through the process of writing. So I I'm curious because I know you have the spiritual part. And, and your relationship with God and faith, and I, and I also hear you have this other energy from your father's transmission, his, his passing on about just being in the moment. But I'm really, I'm really curious how belief in God, a relationship with God, people who uh, abide in a, a Christian or a strong relationship with Jesus, how that seems to help people with with the stressful events in their life. And I'm wondering if I could trouble you to, to and ask you to open up and talk about that particular relationship between the adversities and the, the value of having a, a, a abiding in, in a religious or a relationship with the, with a God or, or Jesus, how, how you, however you see it. Yeah, man, it's an incredible question.
1: And, um, And again, as you ask it, I just want to, it's like, we didn't prep this. We didn't prepare this. I didn't know you were going to ask this question. And so like, I really want to share what's in my heart and not just some answer. Somebody told me to say (laughs) a hundred years ago so that it falls in line.
0: There, Uh, you got this, by the way, you got the spirit of the podcast right there. That's, that's what I'm after. Cool. Well, yeah,
1: man, you know, um, again, as the, okay. This journey that I'm on, my answer again would change to where I'm at now. But being a Christian, I don't think that I'm good or better than anyone. Being a Christian, I don't think that um, the luck of the draw is any better for me. I think that life happens to everybody and that your perspective, whether a Christian or not, is when something happens, why is that happening? Are you being punished or is that just how life just life happens that way? And then When that thing happens, good or bad, is it something good? I'm blessed. If something's bad, I did something bad. No, life happens. And so just want to preface it with that. And then it's so it's your response, right? It's your response to what's happening to you. And uh, when it comes to stress and I am stressed, I am stressed a lot of the time. Not a lot of time. That's that's inaccurate. I do get stressed and my kids will even say, dad, you're stressed. You got too much on your plate. My problem is that I see all that's possible in the world and I want to cram it all into one day, one week, one month, one year, one lifetime. But when it comes to stress, the one thing I go is like, dude, if I didn't have this faith or this idea that there's something else out there that made me and that I am connected to a source that That had a creative idea when they made me or or designed me or thought me up. I'll tell you that a lot for a lot of my life with the youth center, particularly, that just stressed me out. Like, what's the thing I'm supposed to do? Right? It it was it was stressful.
0: Like God has a there was a kind of there was a kind of a pressure because pressure because you were made by God. Like you had to perform something.
1: Yes, like you have to perform. God has a purpose for you, and I could still fall into that. But when I think of my son. When I go back to how I feel about my son, and this is all kind of going somewhere with the stress, and he comes into me and he's like, dad, should I go ride my skateboard or my scooter? Why am I going to sit there? Whatever you want to do, bro. Like, go go have fun doing what you want to do. So to sit there and go, God, should I move to Northern California or Kentucky or whatever? I think that sometimes we just get so caught in that. So that can be a stress on its own. But if you Mm -hmm. flip it and go, I was wonderfully designed and made and created to go be a created being, that's where it helps me a ton with my stress that in the day in, day out, I don't have to just look in the mirror and it's not all on my shoulders like, okay, dude, you better figure it out. This is all on you. You're God. There's no one above you. You are the only one that matters. That I just, I think I would live with stress all the time because Mm -hmm. I have this. I have this opportunity to go, I didn't make the trees. I didn't make the air I'm breathing. I have zero control of if my, not zero control, because I could just eat McDonald's and be a fatty. But uh, I do (laughs) not have a ton of control whether my heart's beating right now or my lungs are going, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I put myself in that moment of like you are saying the small soul, the small me to go, whoa, this is way bigger than me. And Mm -hmm. not that I should discredit whatever it is that's, stressful to me at the moment right like Mm -hmm. maybe i'm Mm -hmm. having a bad day at work or i lost a client or you know my wife's upset with me so so, you don't want to just act like mr positive smiley ned flanders all the time um Mm -hmm. because there is life but what you do with that do you hold on to that or do you let it go and how do you let it go and how do you deal with it and so for me having that source of i'm not at the top there's something that's that's life-giving above me is incredibly helpful for me in dealing and managing and releasing my
0: stress i love that i the word that's coming is refuge there's a kind of refuge in the faith and then the perspective of the faith
1: yeah yes i i agree with that that there's a refuge but i wouldn't go so far as like it doesn't it doesn't relieve me of my responsibility. And I think that that sometimes mm-hmm. is where Christians or people in general could get in trouble because they have a way to pawn something off. And, and I don't like that, right? Because it doesn't release me of my responsibility mm-hmm. because as you and I know, like every day we take a step, we move our hand, we say words, we can speak life or death. And so if I'm doing things that are bringing death, stress destruction i'm responsible for those things so i can't just go run to something saying this is why and this will take care of it i still have to take care of the the good or bad consequences of my actions which is where stress can come from right i chose this career i chose to put all this on my plate i chose to do all that so there are some stresses where it's not like i can just go and say please take this from me that doesn't mean it's poof it's gone. It's well you're actually going to have some work to do to get out of this because you got yourself into this. So so still highly responsible for Ned
0: with the refuge when you need it. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I mean I I the, the way I look at it is like you know we stress is pressure. And and there's pressures we have with with being alive, being a father, you know, being a businessman and we can't abide solely in the domain of pressure that we need to find those moments of nirvana those moments of being pressureless and we don't get those forever it's not like oh i get to <laughs> i get to run away but the the deep evolved system, because I come from an evolutionary solution to my my stresses yeah. um, it, it, it is to find that. And so my take on it is the the creationist, the creative energy of the cosmos and, and finding a connection to that, whatever language it is of that source is Jesus Christ or God yeah. is helpful to the sense of it's all on my nervous system to control the outcomes of things and so my appreciation for religion is it's been working in in assisting people with the pressures of staying alive and of surviving and giving them that 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 narrative that myth that 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 direct experience even of whoa okay there's something else here carrying this carrying this moment that i can i can rest in And not have to um, run the whole show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes. And as you're sharing that, just one thought is I think sometimes we, you know, if I'm a Christian, oh, I I don't meditate or I can't do breathing exercise, like we kind of cut ourselves off from tools that are there, right? So there are a lot Mm -hmm. of tools that are there that I think that, you know, it's just like anything. Like I only like this team, so I can only dress this way, whatever we do, we're, you know, to sit in our camps that we like. But I think sometimes, maybe on both sides, but Christians for sure miss out on incredible meditation opportunity, incredible yoga opportunity, incredible breathing, which are all things, you know, food, diet. I mean, you know, like seeing a fat pastor just makes you want to scream. It's it's like that's it's crazy that we will we will throw away some of these tools that are right in front of us that I would say are gifts Mm -hmm. from God that we have, you know, maybe declined Mm -hmm. that are incredible tools Mm -hmm. to help us with our stress or with mm-hmm. coping with life.
0: Well, I, I've so enjoyed talking with you, Ned. I do wanna offer you the opportunity to turn the tables. And if you have a question for me, um, because you've been really generous, you've really, you know, shared with me about Richard and your mom and your brother and your upbringing and, and your transition of finding your own fatherhood energy and, and refocus. And, 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 you know, for the listeners out there, please check out Ned's podcast. Please check out his work. There'll be links in the show notes. Um, but I do want to also just, I like to turn the table. I like reciprocity and equity. So uh, do you have anything on your mind?
1: I don't have anything on my mind per se but just I'm just feeling a ton of gratitude for the conversation you know because I'm sure that there are a lot of things that we are different on or have a different opinion on but we both care deeply for human beings and you have a you have a you're on a journey of, of helping people to discover and discover yourself. Like I am, um, what matter nah, that, that we are experiencing all that we can in life. And so I just am like, my heart's full of gratitude right now for the conversation, because sometimes I feel like I have conversations with only very like-minded people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that we miss the opportunity that there's so much more that we agree on than we probably don't agree on and we have so much more in common than we probably don't, you know, have in common and so i love connecting with another human being who wants to dig into those things and learn from each other so more it's a it's a it's a huge thank you to you for your time a huge thank you for the opportunity to have a conversation with you and meet you and it's just an encouragement to keep doing that keep being that like more about the process than the outcome and that's something that I want to learn as well and so you taught me something today
0: thank you so much Ned I really enjoyed talking with you today I really appreciate the heartfulness and the praise and the the gratitude you just shared with me about our conversation because I have a similar feeling and about encouraging me to go down this road and that we are you know walking it in our own ways but we share this common love of human life Mm. and the questions that are therein yes so thank you ned thank you for having me thank you so much for joining us today please follow us on your favorite streaming platform and share our podcast with your community and friends All music is composed by the incredible Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people find peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us.